Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Thank you, Bob. Appreciating you opening God's word for us as we're going to be taking a look at that passage from Ephesians chapter 4 in just a moment. Uh, Allow me to add my word of welcome to you all. My name is Nick Price. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Uh, And as we heard at the beginning of the service, we are kicking off a brand new series that we are calling the Being Challenge. Not the Bean Challenge, the Being Challenge. Uh, It's a 40-day journey. A 40-day journey of learning to be with Jesus so that we might become more like Jesus. A 40-day journey of being with Jesus so that we might become more like him. And it actually kicks off uh, a week from tomorrow. So so this is kind of your last week to get signed up for a group, uh, to purchase a copy of the book and all that good stuff. We'll be talking about that in just a little bit. Um, But really what we want to do is we want to start here. We want to introduce this whole series by looking a little bit more closely at this passage from Ephesians chapter 4. So I think it's only right that before we dive into God's word, we allow him to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So let's uh, bow our heads and let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that you have gathered us together as your people, that we could be here in this place in order to learn what it means to become more like you. And so God, we pray that as we're diving into this text, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive the message you have for us. And God, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Oh God, who is indeed our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So there is a question uh, that almost every adult, I don't know if this is just something genetic in the human race, it's wired into our DNA, but there's a, there's a question that every single adult typically asks almost every kid that they meet. Can you guys guess what that question is? What do you want to be when you grow up? Isn't that the question that like oftentimes like you ask their name and you ask about their mom and dad and they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And and I bet you if, if, you know, all of us have been kids at some point that you had an answer to that question. You may have even had like four or five answers to that question. You may have actually not even been able to decide of the many uh, options uh, that you had, what you wanted to be. I'd love to know from a couple of you, what did you want to be when you grew up? When, When adults would ask you that question, what did you say? What were your answers? You're going to have to shout it because there's like fans and stuff. I, what was it? A lawyer. Okay. A lawyer? Nurse? Nurse? Cowboy. Cowboy. I love it. What else? Pastor. What was it? Pastor. Pastor. Okay. Someone wanted to be a pastor. Doctor. Doctor. Yeah. Astronauts. Astronauts. Amazing. Yes. A princess. There we go. NASCAR driver. Man, these are getting good. Yeah, when, when people ask me, what did I want to be when I, when I grew up? See, I really loved history, so I wanted to do something involving history. And I loved being outside and kind of digging in the dirt. So maybe something with history that allowed me to dig in the dirt. But I also liked superheroes and fighting bad guys and stuff like that. So basically, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. Uh, that's what I wanted to be growing up. I thought I could be, you know, the superhero uh, archaeologist who punched Nazis. And then I found out there's not many of those anymore. I guess that's a good thing. Uh, and that I uh, 
actually archaeologists don't do that. But that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. That's, that's what, when people ask me what I wanted to be, I wanted to be an archaeologist because I wanted to be like Indiana Jones. But there's something really interesting in that question that we ask the kids, isn't there? We ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? You see, one of the things I think that we, we often lose as we get older, as we become adults, is that we start getting really, really focused on doing. What do we have to do for our jobs, right? And we look at like our whole week and we realize that we've done a lot of stuff and there's always more to do. And if you're like me, you usually get to the end of the week and you look at your to-do list and you're just like, not enough got done, right? And we've, we, we somehow at some point, we kind of lose this idea that growing up while doing is important, at the heart of it, it's more about being. It's about becoming, isn't it? Kids understand this kind of instinctually. We're, we're called to not just do stuff, but to become someone. And that's part of the reason why here at Trinity, our, our mission statement, why we exist, is that we exist to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus. Because the truth is, is that just like growing up from being a child into an adult involves becoming someone, in the same way, if we're going to grow spiritually, it involves becoming. It involves being transformed into a type of person. And this is extremely important because of the fact that I think many people, when they think about religion and spirituality and faith, they often focus on the doing, right? What do I have to do in order to gain God's favor? What do I have to do to get into heaven or to find enlightenment or whatever? And typically, we, when, we, when we tend to think of people and we tend to think of religious people, what do we think about? Well, what are the things that they do, right? They go to church, they pray, they tithe, they do all these other things. We do, we do, we do, we do, we do. And yet, um, uh, many years ago, I remember reading a book in which uh, this very thoughtful theologian was talking about how the one question he would often ask people to determine whether they really understood what it meant to be a Christian is when he asked them the question, are you a Christian? And he knew that if they answered the question by saying something like, well, I'm trying, that they really hadn't gotten it yet. Because the difference between being a Christian and every other religion is to be a Christian is to recognize that we are a certain type of person. That doing is actually the afterthought. It's the second thing, not the first thing. It's not the, of primary importance. In fact, that's exactly what Paul is saying in, the book, in his letter to the Ephesians. He's saying, look, if you're a Christian, it's not because you've done something to earn it. Rather, it's because of who God has transformed you to be. This was a, a little bit before the passage that Bob read a few moments ago. As uh, Paul opens the letter, he actually wants to tell this church, this group of people, this church living in Ephesus, who they are. And this is what he says. He's talking about God. He says, In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. You see, what Paul says is he says, actually, becoming a Christian isn't so much about doing stuff to earn it, but rather being welcomed into a family 
purely by God's grace, purely by his mercy. And oftentimes we kind of get that backwards, right? I mean, the way that we kind of treat what it means to be a follower of Jesus is we treat it like, well, followers of Jesus do these things and do these things and do these things and do these kinds of things. And we start to draft up a whole list of religious stuff that we're supposed to do. But, but that would be the equivalent of like my son uh, waking up one day and I, and I just find him like cleaning the toilets in the bathroom, which he doesn't do by the way, okay? Uh, and then he's like vacuuming the floors, also doesn't do. Uh, you know, picking up all of his clothes, also, and I, you know, I'd be like, wow, you know, Evan, this is awesome, man, that you're like cleaning up all this stuff. Why are you doing that? Well, you know, I really got to earn my place in this family, dad. You know, because I don't want to get kicked out, right? You know, I know in order to be your son, I got to do these things. And what, what would I say? Well, from a good dad, I hope I am, I'd say, look, Evan, I love the fact that you're cleaning all this stuff. It's great that you want to take care of your family, but you will never stop being my son, you didn't earn that. You didn't choose to be born in this family. That's purely an act of grace. That's a gift. Nothing can take that away. And what Paul wants us to understand, wants the people in the Ephesus to understand, is that it, it all starts with good news. You are Christians because God has adopted you as his children. Because he has made you his special possession apart from anything that we do. That's the difference between the gospel and religion. Religion says, I do things for God and therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says I'm accepted by God. And it's out of that that flows everything else that I do. In fact, Paul goes on in the passage that we read for this morning to even put it more explicitly. He says this. He says, there's one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What is he saying? He's saying, look, the good news of being a follower of Jesus is that God himself dwells within you. You have his spiritual life within you purely by an act of his grace. I love this. The sermon gets to start with some really, really good news, right? This is who we are. This is who we're called to be. God says, you are my children. You have my spirit. That's who you are. But then uh, we get to kind of the paradox of this passage at the same time. After setting up the fact that we're like born into this family, that we have this spirit given to us by grace, Paul then goes on to say this though. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. And the reason why is this, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. See, what he says is, on the one hand, we have God's Spirit dwelling within us. On the other hand, here's the bad news, we're also immature. That's the paradox at the heart of the session. On the one hand, you have God's Spirit dwelling within you, and yet we're immature. He says that there, this is the reason why God sends some to kind of be leaders, and their job is to equip the whole body so that what? So that all of us might become mature. And see, this is really why this passage is so important as we kick off the being challenged, because this passage paints a picture of what life looks like when we live out of who we are in Jesus. Because there's a problem with immature people, especially when it comes to spirituality. 
And, and I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, I, I, Pastor Tim Keller was the one who kind of tipped me off to this. He says there's actually three signs of immaturity that we find in this passage. And I want to give him credit for that because honestly, this is how pastors prep for sermons. Okay, we, we pray and we read the Bible and then we listen to people who are a lot smarter than us. And then we share it with you. But he says there's actually three things embedded in this passage that help us to understand w- what kind of immaturity we're wrestling with. And then there's really one thing given which helps us to grow. Three signs of immaturity, one thing absolutely necessary to help us to grow. The first sign of immaturity is spiritual babies are not discerning. Okay, that's the first thing he says. Spiritual babies are not discerning. This is what he writes. He says that when we grow up, we will no longer be infants. See, Paul himself calls us babies. We'll no longer be infants tossed to and fro by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. See, what he's saying is he's saying spiritual babies aren't very discerning. I don't know if you've noticed this. Parents, you've noticed this. Those of you who aren't parents, you will someday uh, uh, when you have kids. Um, Babies aren't very discerning, especially when it comes to food. Okay? Uh, They don't eat the things that are good for them. And they do eat absolutely everything else. Not just junk food, I mean everything. Okay, if you didn't vacuum before, once you have kids, you start vacuuming. Okay, because if it's on the floor, it's going in the mouth. All right, that's what they do. I remember when we first started having kids, Jenny then like went around our house and started putting these little child locks on like all the drawers and cabinets. Why? Because we knew once our munchkins started moving, all of those low cabinets and drawers were fair game, right? And they would be very, very easy for our little one to crawl in there and, you know, drink the shampoo because it smells good, right? And I also learned that childproof locks also work really good for husbands um, because it was really hard to get to chips and cookies uh, once those bad boys went in. I think I broke a bunch of those locks uh, trying to get back into those things. But, but as, as spiritual babies, as spiritual infants, we're not very discerning. A sign of immaturity is, is when we uh, are constantly being tossed to and fro by every single bit of teaching that kind of comes our way. I remember certainly this was true of me when I was growing in the faith uh, as, a, as a very young Christian. I couldn't figure out if I was like Catholic or Orthodox or Reformed. I didn't even know what a Lutheran was. And honestly, if somebody said, hey, you should read this book, you should read that book, you should read that. And I was just like, yeah, sure. And I would just pick it up and I just start ingesting all of it uh, and, and all these things. But I, what that led to is me being a very confused Christian. I didn't know if I messed up if God loved me or if he was mad at me. I didn't know if if being a spiritual and mature meant that I had to pray the rosary or read my Bible. Uh, And and the thing about not being discerning, uh, especially with little kids, is that sometimes they eat things that not only aren't very nourishing, they're actually poisonous. And so sometimes a sign of immaturity is that we're just not very discerning. And that part of growing up means that we actually become more discerning. We become more thoughtful about what it is that, that, that we believe. We start to give serious thought to, to what it looks like in order to actually work out our faith. To live it out in our daily lives. That's part of the reason why, as Paul says, God sends us, Jesus himself gives us other Christians. Those who are more mature, who can hopefully teach us so that we become more discerning. And that actually kind of leads to kind of the second mark of spiritual immaturity is that uh, spiritual babies are not very steady. 
Again, listen to that verse from Ephesians chapter 4. He says, We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Another thing that, that you realize uh, when you spend time with kids is that their attention span is about 30 seconds long. Which is part of the reason why if you follow a kid around the house, they leave this like wake of destruction behind them, right? And it's because they found a toy. And then they found another toy. And then they found another toy. And they found another toy. And they found another toy. And then the way you find your child, if your child is lost, is follow the trail of toys. Because uh, they've left this wake of destruction behind them. Spiritual babies are not very steady. We're constantly going after the newest, latest, greatest, shiniest object, aren't we? And we can do that spirit, we can do that in kind of pseudo-spiritual religious ways, and we can do that in totally like worldly secular ways. But it's all the same thing. Spiritually, what it looks like is, is we're constantly bouncing from church to church, right? Find one church, this is cool, this is awesome, love their worship. I think it's awesome that, that they no longer have pews and that you can move the chairs around. And then about like six months later, you're just like, no, I want a little bit more high church. That one stained glass window's not enough. I need like 50 of them. And so then we go to the basilica, right? And we hang out there for a little while where we get the incense. And then we realize we're allergic to incense. And then we move on to like another church where now they're doing this kind of ancient future worship sort of thing. And we just bounce from one thing to another over and over and over again. Never commit to a community. Never join a small group. Never actually serve anybody. We're just going to the next shiniest thing. We're not steady. You can't count on us. Or we follow Jesus for a little bit until push kind of comes to shove. And we realize, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, but if I'm willing to compromise just a little bit in some of my integrity, maybe then I can get that next job. We're willing to follow Jesus with everything we have. We love you so much, Jesus, and stuff like that. And then that next kind of good-looking person comes into our lives. doesn't matter if they follow Jesus or not. That doesn't matter because they're, they're a lovely person. I just want to spend my life with them. And, we, we no lo- and Jesus is saying, hey, I think I have some words about it. Don't worry about that, Jesus. I mean, this is a beautiful person. I know you want me to be happy. Thank you for your advice. Right? We're not steady. Spiritual babies are constantly being tossed to and fro. Constantly being led astray by the next shiniest thing. Third mark of spiritual immaturity. Spiritual babies are self-centered. You ever uh, try to get kids to share? It's hysterical. I think the first word that most children learn is mine. Probably after mom. Mom and then mine. Uh, And I remember seeing this in my kids. Like the moment we had like two it was crazy. So uh, now we have this, you know, uh, little three-year-old uh, and this little, like, you know, one-year-old, and they're sitting next to each other, right? And, and, and th- you know, they're both learning how to talk and do their thing. And then I, I remember seeing this moment where they're like, the three-year-old sitting next to the one-year-old, little one-year-old's like playing with something. Three-year-old just kind of looks at the thing, looks at the one-year-old, grabs the thing, poof, one-year-old, I have the toy now, right? This is what kids do. We don't share. We're constantly self-centered. And that's actually something that Paul, I think that's part of the reason Paul like begins this section by saying this, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why does he have to say that? Because that's not our natural instinct. And spiritually immature people, spiritual babies, are constantly asking the question, well, what am I going to get? out of being a part of this church? What am I going to get from being a part of a small group? What am I going to get out of serving? What about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? And if in the moment, you know, something doesn't 
you know, no longer gets us what we want, we move on to the next thing. Three marks. Three marks of kind of spiritual babies, spiritual infants. And Paul constantly is talking about this in Ephesians 4 because he says that's not what it looks like to live out of who you are. Sometimes you have to get the photo negative before he shows you the photo positive, right? And so what's the one thing that's needed in order to help us grow into the kind of maturity that Paul is talking about? Well, he gives us the answer in just a few verses after the one that we read. He tells us that instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, what he says is the one thing you need most is you need a community of people who have Jesus at the center. The only way that we're going to grow out of our self-centeredness, out of our unsteadiness, out of our lack of discernment, is by being a part of a community of people that has Jesus at the center. That's why he talks so much about we've been called to one body and one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's why he goes on to say the following. He says, we are called to all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He tells us that we grow and build ourselves up in love as each part does its work. The way in which you grow to more fully reflect the person that you are is by being a part of a community that has Jesus at the center. Because it's there that you're going to find people who can help you grow in discernment. Who can teach you what it looks like to truly be committed. To get outside of yourself and into serving other people only happens in relationship. There is no such thing as a solo Christian. Your faith is personal, yes, but it is not private. It was never intended to be. Paul says if you want to grow, you need to be a part of a community that's growing toward Jesus together. And the beauty in that is not only do you need that, not only do I need that, but the community needs you. The community needs that. I love that he says at the very, very end of the, of the text that we read for this morning, that we grow and build ourselves up as each part does its work, which means that God has given you gifts to give. He has a calling for your life, but you'll never discover it on your own. You'll only find it as you live in the context of a community that's called by his name. Because the moment you step into a community like that, transformation begins to take place. Transformation that wouldn't have been possible in any other way way. In fact, I want you to hear one story from a, from a member of Trinity, uh, from one of our other locations. His name is Pat, talking about the power that came when he finally was willing to step into a community that had Jesus at the center. I want you to hear his story. Listen to this. So several years ago, I was in a small group, 
to identify people who did not know Jesus so that we could uh, pray for them and encourage each other to build a relationship with them so that we could share Jesus. And in my case, that was my dad. Uh, growing up, my dad took us to church every Sunday, but somewhere along the line, he lost his faith. We talked about that in the meeting and prayed, and the next meeting came along, and someone in the group said, so Pat, did you talk with your dad? And I'm like, uh, no, I did not talk to my dad. Even though I had an opportunity to talk with him that week, I did not. So I knew before the next meeting I was going to talk with my dad because I didn't want to show up again and say, no, I didn't talk with my dad. So I went to visit him in the nursing home and uh, we sat down and we talked. And I told him that I wanted him to be in heaven with me and we had a great conversation and I am convinced that he is in heaven because of that conversation and because someone in the group cared enough to hold me accountable. And so I'm grateful for that person. I'm grateful for that group and I'm grateful that they held me accountable to have that conversation and to share Jesus with my dad so that I could spend eternity with him in heaven. The question about um, if I had had the conversation with my dad when I had not, you know, it wasn't a condemning question. It was, it was one of love and concern, just wanting to encourage me and, you know, hold me accountable to do what I said I wanted to do. It was something that I wanted to do, and, and that accountability was perfect. And in my case, you know, it was, a, it was a, an eternal um, piece of accountability that had eternal difference. An eternal difference. That's the kind of growth that comes when we find ourselves in the family of God. That's the kind of growth that comes when we are a part of a community that has Jesus at the center. And as we move through the being challenge, you have that opportunity to join a community like that. Uh, to be a part of a small group, not just for the sake of adding another thing to our schedule, but to be a part of a community where Jesus is at the heart of everything that we do, so that together we might grow and build ourselves up in love, so that we might become people who look, live, and love more like Jesus. That's the beauty and the gift of community. That's the power that comes when we learn to walk together in faith. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to live out of who we already are as we walk together in a community that has him at the center. And so with that in mind, I want to pray for us. Would you join me as we pray together? Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you don't leave us to walk this Christian life alone. Rather, you invite us into a community that we might grow, that we might become more like you not only for our sake and that we might become mature, but so that together more people might experience your love and your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, whatever's holding us back, keeping us from saying yes to your invitation, to being a part of your church, Lord, we pray that you would remove that, that you would invite us in. 
and that we would together become the kind of people who can proclaim your glory and your mercy to everyone we encounter. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.